This week in the Vergecast, Sean Halster joins us. We talk all about the Steam Deck. Boy, does he have feelings about that. Then Allison Johnson joins us. We talk about the Galaxy S22 Ultra review. What's going on with Dish Network's 5G network, supposed 5G network. Then we do a little lightning round. That's the Vergecast. Coming up now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to Vergecast. The flagship podcast of being late, but then coincidentally being able to hit the Steam Deck review embargo. Yes! It's a very specific <laughs> niche. We are the only contender that we are definitely the flagship of that. We did it. We, that's the one we found. you got to find a lane and be the winner. Uh, I'm your friend, Eli. I'm in the studio with Alex Kranz. Hey, Alex. Hey! Dita Bonus here. I am a rock-solid 60 frames per second. <laughs> very good. Sean Hollister is here. I am a glorious mess. <laughs> uh, it is true. We were late. Sorry. I, we, I was at a conference yesterday at Hot Pod Summit. Ashley Carmen did an amazing job hosting Hot Pod Summit. You ever want to see some people wilding out about programmatic ad tech? <laughs> Podcast industry is lit. Uh, very fun. I was out of pocket. Forgot to tweet that we we're going to be late. So we're coming out a little late today. But the good news is that means the, the Steam Deck embargo will have passed. Yes. Talking about time on a on a pre-recorded podcast, it's very <laughs> difficult. The Steam Deck embargo, we wouldn't have been able to talk about it this week had we not been late. Yes. But we didn't actually plan it. No, sure we, we totally did. did. We totally did. This was all planned. No, no, no. You have to manifest luck. <laughs> oh, a, a thing that happens in Decoder all the time is like r- everyone talks about manifestation. Like Miss Excel is like fully manifesting. That's like wild. And yeah. then like random executives are like, I manifested my business success. So we're manifesting luck today. Yeah. You're like, this just happened. You have, to, you have an abundance I'm going to find $100 on the street after this. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is going to sell me a crystal. It's going to be great. Can you guys give me like 15 minutes to come up with a software manifest pun for this thing before we move on? Or? Yeah. So we, we talk about Steam Deck with Sean a little later. Allison Johnson is going to join the show. She reviewed the S22. There's some other fun stuff. We would be remiss if we did not open by saying there, Russia has invaded Ukraine. There is a war on the European continent. It's a big deal. We have some coverage on the site. Uh, it is kind of our first digital war of this kind. There are internet outages in Ukraine. You know, there's a space station. We have to collaborate with Russia on the space station. So Lauren Grush has been covering what's happening there. There are uh, information challenges on all the various social platforms. There are technology sanctions against Russia. I keep hearing this very shaky rumor that the Ukraine wants the United States government to ban software updates to Russian devices. Yes. We haven't run it down. I'm telling you, it's just a shaky rumor. But, like, it, all the stuff is in the mix. Uh-huh. So it's on the site. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it here. 
I was just saying to Dieter, I feel like we are well practiced at making this hard left turn out of very serious world news and into gadgets because of two years of the pandemic. Never gets easier, though. It's always weird. We, I do want to point out our team is doing a great job of covering it where it is Verge stuff. It's important. Now we're going to make a hard left turn into the Steam Deck. There, we have other great, the company, Vox Media, if you just want to stay in the family, lots of other great podcasts that are full on Ukraine. So go go listen to today explained and all that stuff. But they're doing a great job on it. We are aware that some of what we provide here at the Virtuest is diversion. <laughs> Other times we're fully in it. But if there's stuff you want us to cover, if there's stuff you want us to talk about, we welcome your feedback. This is new, so we welcome your feedback. You can tweet at Alex. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> Just <laughs> or me. me, whatever. Or send us a note. We we do appreciate it. We are taken seriously. All right. Steam Deck. Here is my big plan for talking about the Steam Deck. Sean. Talk about the Steam Deck. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you just reviewed it. I mean, this is like one. Of, I I just read the review before I came in here. It, it is an emotional journey. But begin. It, it's going to go up about 45 minutes after we finish recording. It'll be about by the time you read this. And the first thing I want to say is that this is the hardest review I've ever done for The Verge or the other publications I visited briefly between because Valve was constantly updating the thing. Every couple days, there'd be a big update. Sometimes multiple times a day, there would be a new update for the thing because it is the hottest. The software is coming in the hottest of any device. Sean, what is the Steam Deck? Let's begin at the beginning. Uh, it looks like a Nintendo Switch. It looks like a Nintendo Switch in photos. And if you actually pick one up, you'll find out that it is much bigger than a Nintendo <laughs> Switch. But yes, there is a 7-inch 800p screen flanked by... Two sets of controls, but inside it is a Linux computer. And get this, a Linux computer that is running Windows games, not Linux games. Hmm. It can also run Linux games in that Nintendo Switch-like interface. And so the first question you have is, one, how the heck does that work? How is Linux running the Windows games? Are they going to be any good on this thing? Your second question might be, does it have any battery life? And the answer is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. But it actually, it works because Valve, and, and Valve spent years, like four years, working on a compatibility layer, layer that's built on top of an existing compatibility layer called Wine, which lets you run some Windows games on Linux. W-I-N-E, like the thing you drink, not the thing you do, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. uh, Wine is not an emulator, <laughs> I think is the, the acronym for it. It's a, yeah, it's a recursive acronym. It's like one of the first things I learned as a young computer nerd is that Wine is a great recursive acronym. I had no idea. Wine <laughs> is not an emulator, it's an acronym. It's very good. And in many cases, it works amazingly well. I loaded up uh, well, let me see. I loaded up Fallout 4 in this thing. I loaded up God of War on this thing. 2018 God of War got just got ported to PC. It works brilliantly well. And the controls. This thing has so many controls that a Nintendo Switch does not have, that a PC does not have. It has gyroscopic aiming. It has touch pads that you can customize six ways from Sunday and, and turn into like virtual trackballs. You can, you can literally swipe across this touchpad, which is a flat surface, and it will feel and act like you have gone back to the early 90s, late 80s, and have a genuine trackball in your hand and you're <laughs> flinging that cursor across the screen. And yes, I did use a trackball at one point. It was not my primary pointing device, but it's one of those kinds of things. Okay. And that works great in 2D games that have a cursor as long as the games actually have a cursor because while a lot of games play through Proton, the compatibility layer on Linux based on Windows games, a lot of them do work. 
very often they might mysteriously not. And in most cases, this manifests on the Steam Deck as they just don't launch. And that'll be the case for any big game that uses anti-cheat software. So your Destiny 2 is not on here, and your Halo Infinite's not on here, and your PUBG's not on here, and your GTA 5 is not on here. But So like the entire Ubisoft lineup? I think I got something uh, running from Ubisoft. I'll have to remember what it is. Is that like a Valve hasn't gone to those publishers and figured it out problem? Is that a... They yoloed out a Linux PC in the format of a Nintendo Switch. We're just going to see what happened. Like, this is a publishers are lazy and scared problem. Okay. Wow. Valve has explicitly, explicitly reached out to the two big anti-cheat manufacturers, which are EAC, which is Easy Anti-Cheats made by Epic Games. So there you go. Or bought by Epic Games and Battleeye and said, hey, can you make these things work better in Proton? And they said, yes, we'll make these things work better in Proton. And then they went ahead and made these things work better in Proton. And in fact, the big new hit game that Andrew Webster just reviewed for The Verge, Elden Ring, Literally has easy anti-cheat in it and will literally work, uh, I believe, tomorrow, Valve says. They'll push an update that makes that game work. So (laughs) it's possible. It's totally possible. (laughs) And Valve says it literally takes two clicks for these companies to enable it. Uh, So hang on. I need to stop you right there. Anytime a company says it takes literally two clicks, it takes more than two clicks. Sure. At least okay. three. It takes, it takes an important business decision in this case, which is in Epic's case, the case of Epic CEO Tim Sweeney, who, by the way, owns Easy Anti-Cheat and uh-huh. also runs Fortnite, one of the biggest games in the world. Uh, in his case, he said to me that this is basically not worth the amount of effort they would have to put into to convince themselves that they wouldn't be inviting new hackers and cheaters into Fortnite. And so they, they, they have said, Epic Games has said, it is easy to do this. It is easy to enable in your games. And yet the CEO of the company, Sim Sweeney, has also said, by the way, we're not going to do this because we don't think the Steam Deck is going to, you know, basically it's not going to sell enough to justify the amount of work they would have to do to convince themselves that it'll be okay. Right. So the problem isn't the two clicks or three clicks. It's this company is so big that to instruct someone to do the clicks requires meetings. So and it does, that, yeah. in fact, require more than two clicks because you have to <laughs> click on send. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to click on Outlook, you yeah. <laughs> make like, new meetings. A lot of extra clicks in there. <laughs> Someone's got to click through PowerPoint and be like pros and cons. And I guess I understand that there is like this, you can never anticipate the amount of risk because hackers will find a way into anything if you give them long enough and cheaters have just this tremendous inst- this tremendous incentive and companies like you know uh, EA and and and, uh, and and Activision are constantly suing cheat makers out of existence to try to try and solve this problem which has gotten worse and worse over the years by the way a lot of video game manufacturers are now building their own custom anti-cheat solutions because they don't even think battle eye and easy anti-cheat are good enough anymore. So yeah, there's more to it than that. But a lot of this stuff doesn't work. And even some of the games that do work, because you have all these glorious controls that you don't have on a normal handheld gaming system or even a PC, and you can easily get a a cursor in some games, they won't necessarily work on every game. I I pulled up the original TIE Fighter. Do you remember TIE Fighter Oh yeah. The PC. Oh my mm-hmm. God. That ah, oh, such a good Star Wars when game. Possibly the best again? Star Wars game ever made. Uh, I want to say like 95, 94, <laughs> something like that. Anyhow, 
This game, it loads. The cutscenes look great. It's, it, it looks phenomenal on the Steam Deck. Uh, but there's no mouse cursor, so you can't navigate the menus at all. <laughs> I had to like, in, I, had to, I, had, I had to move around an invisible mouse cursor that, that you know I couldn't see on the screen to try and figure out how to get into the game. And once I did that, I got into the Tie Fighter, and it just spun uncontrollably through space. <laughs> I was horrible at that game, and from my understanding, from that, my experience, that's just the game. Just the game. Yeah. That's actually, yeah, <laughs> very finicky controls. So okay, Sean. Like with, we, we've we've gone immediately into the deepest of weeds on this thing, which I love. It's a portable PC running Linux with an emulation layer for Windows games. It has like decent performance? Question mark. Like you mentioned, yeah. battery life is ee. What sorts of games should a person looking to buy this thing expect? We'll come back to the bugs, which are uh, myriad. Uh, but like. Am I look buying this thing to play Elden Ring? Am I buying this thing to play like emulator games? Am I buying this thing for all of the above? Am I buying this thing to just screw around? Sure, I will let you know on Elden Ring tomorrow. Okay, uh, when I can when I can run it and and, and have the online mode work. I, I, technically, it launched last night, so the, they call it a Steam Deck verified. Anyhow, the performance is great. It's it's amazingly good. I don't see a crazy performance dip because of, you know, running Linux, Windows games on Linux. I don't know if there's any performance dip at all. Not that I've gotten to test Windows on it, mind you. But I've tried other portables. I've tried the IA Neo that came out last year. And this thing's head and shoulders above that. Yeah. So actually, can you can you put great in context? Because there's like full-on PC gaming rig great. There's like gaming laptop great. There's PS5 great. There's like I don't know. Nintendo Switch, you could say, runs great because the games are designed to run on, you know, something that's relatively underpowered. So when you say great, like great for what? This is a giant level of detail above what you'd play on a Nintendo Switch. We're talking above PS4 quality here, above Xbox One quality here. We're probably in the PS4 Pro kind of graphics that you're looking coming out of the screen, but it's got one important caveat there. The important caveat is that the resolution is 1280 by 800 or 1280 by 720. You take your pick on the actual screen. So it just has to drive so many fewer pixels. So if I want to run uh, God of War here on, on, on medium settings or Star Wars squadrons on medium settings, like that looks better to my eyes than a PS4. It's in that PS4 Pro territory. Not quite as good as, you know, a really beefy gaming PC, but it's mm-hmm. up there. But it has to run so many fewer pixels that if I blow that up onto a monitor, you're not going to get quite that same effect. If I blow right. that up onto okay. my, you know, desktop monitor, if I put that on a 4K TV, you don't get it. I'm going to put my 2019 gamer nerd hat on. Does it do ray tracing? I have not tried ray tracing on this thing. That is a great question. Well, it has some. It has a custom chip, right? Part yeah. of the whole. I mean, this thing is like an ultimate gadget. Yeah. Just, like, we, we probably should have said that at the top. Like one of the. There's like very few moments where there's an ultimate gadget. Yeah. You know, and like the Steam Deck is firmly in the category of ultimate gadget. Like it's a tiny little Linux PC that looks like a Switch that can run Windows games. It is buggy as all get out. But it's like I immediately be- bought one, <laughs> right? It's also it's, it's four hundred bucks, right? Yeah, as did I. It's like it's fully in ultimate gadget territory. Like you have to be a gadget nerd to appreciate it. But if you're a gadget nerd, like there's Zero not many boxes. 
many boxes left to tick. Let's talk gadget nerdery for a moment yeah. here. This thing, this oh, thing. Sean just picked it up. Has the love in his eyes. Like, it up. Literally, his eyes turned into cartoon also, hearts his just now. Shoulders just kind of sh- like shrugged under the weight of it. It is 1.47 pounds. It is sculpted in a way that I do not feel that weight constantly. Like if I'm holding it above my head in bed, which is definitely a way I play this thing. (laughs) Yeah, I do have this sense that maybe I'm going to drop it and brain myself. But (laughs) in most other positions, my arms merely get tired after a while. (laughs) Okay, so this thing has a, it has, yeah, 1280 by 800 touchscreen, but it is a good screen. Like this is a like the best small IPS screen I have seen on a device. It's not like OLED quality or anything like that, but the colors look good. It's sharp. It's crisp. It's it refresh rate. There's not a lot of jelly effect to it. The speakers are loud and clear. And there are so many controls on this thing. I think I, touch pads that can do all kinds of things, touch sticks that have capacitive sensors on top. So you lay your finger on top of it, you lay your thumb on top of it. And all of a sudden you got the gyroscopic aiming. The triggers are not only, not only does it have triggers and bumpers and face buttons and D-pads, but the triggers are not analog triggers, very responsive analog triggers. The touch pads, you can press down on them and they've got, you know, your 32,000 levels of pressure sensitivity. Each of them has a linear actuator underneath. So they not only can give you some haptic feedback when you're scrolling, you can feel a little bit of texture, but in addition to that, they make sounds. The original Steam controller that this thing is based on could play like chiptune music out of its touch pads, <laughs> and this one can too. It's got a custom AMD chip that not only uh, is, it, is it custom and like exclusive to Valve, but it had AMD RDNA 2 graphics before any other laptop or handheld was allowed to get like the thin and light version of those. So while you could buy like a beefy gaming laptop with our DNA two graphics, or you could wait forever and scalp a graphic desktop graphics card, this thing has it for $400 and it's a great level of performance for $400. Uh, It's got a ginormous, really annoyingly loud fan in it, which has the wonderful side effect of making sure I never feel the heat. I don't feel the heat at all. Never seen it overheat, never seen it throttle the the GPU unless I was asking it to. And when you dive into the software for the deck, there's a single button you can press to see your frame rate, your battery life, what all your CPUs and GPUs are doing. And at a moment's notice, you can say, wow, I'm only getting an hour of battery life out of this now. I can cut my frame rate in half or throttle the GPU with like two presses. And this time I actually mean two presses, not the anti-cheat two presses. Yeah. Sean, the next time you throttle the GPU, I'd like you to schedule a quick meeting with me just to sync. I will do that. Just I will do it. Pros yes. and cons. Let's, let's make this decision rigorously. Are, are all of these controls um, overwhelming? Because like, you know, a game designed for keyboard and mouse or even just like a standard controller, like, are you spending just as much time fiddling with like 50 different ways you could configure what all these buttons and touchpads and gyroscopes do as you are actually playing the game? Or is it relatively easy to like set it up and like start playing the game and not be constantly fussing with it? I'll answer that two ways. And way number one is I may have spent an hour, an hour and a half, personally, configuring a custom profile for Destiny 2, which is a game that I can only play on the deck through Stadia, and I don't even own games on Stadia, except for like Life is for Strange 2, so I probably wasted an hour and a half just because it was fun to customize the controls to that (laughs) degree. 
You can do incredible things with the amount of customization on here. There's macros and turbos, and, and it's, it's dizzying. It's dizzying how much you can do, but you don't have to. When you pick it up, what you have in your hands is basically an Xbox 360 gamepad, an Xbox One gamepad. It's got two sticks. It's got all the buttons and D-pads exactly where you think they'll be. If you want to, you also have the touchpad right beneath the stick. There's your mouse. There's your gyro. But you can also dive into a quick settings menu and flip on gyroscopic control on the touch stick. You can flip on the back buttons. There's four back buttons on the back of the thing, and you can set those to do whatever you want. I set it up in, uh, in, in, in control. I set it up so I've got one of them. I double tap one of the buttons on the back, and all of a sudden my character is floating in the air, ready to rain down death on my foes. I tap <laughs> another one. I summon a shield of debris all around my character. It's great. And I don't have to take my thumbs off the sticks to do is any it of Is it labeled that. rain down death on my, phone, my foes in the set? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I can definitely do that. Jean, I think it's really cool because it's got it's got the same haptic like touch pads or whatever that the the Steam Pad did, right? Yes. Is there a learning curve like there was on that because everybody decided that learning curve was stupid and stopped buying that controller? Is this just replicating that problem? If you want to use them, it's going to take a moment to like, okay, how do I want this touchpad to work? But there are a lot of presets. And again, you can just like pick it up and say, I only want to use this like an Xbox controller. Mm -hmm. And you never have to think about it, which is super nice. The original Steam controller, they kind of like, oh, shit, I guess we should add a... A, th a left thumbstick at like the very end of the development cycle for that. Valve showed, sh showed so many versions of the original Steam Controller prototypes. I have one at home that had two touchpads and nothing else. And they were like, you are going to use our touchpads. That's the one I have. Yeah, there we go. And at the end, they said, I guess we should put a left analog stick on it. And now they've put the right analog stick on it, too. So you don't have to use touchpads ever if you don't want to. You can just ignore them. It's fine. I played a whole bunch of games that way. But, like, I mean, you, you compare it to the, the Xbox 360 controller, but the layout is very different from it, right? Because the joysticks on this are up by the D-pad and the, I don't know what that other pad is called. Oh, boy. If we want to get into some gadget history, the layout here is exactly like the Wikipad. Yeah, like, like it's a very different – it's not an Xbox 360 layout. Where those would be is where those touchpads are. Like where the joysticks Yeah, in terms be. of like physically where you are reaching for it, I have found that it just feels completely natural to grab this thing and just my thumbs go where they should go. And the only place where the thumbs feel a little bit awkward is actually on those touchpads. Oh. They feel natural reaching for the sticks. They feel natural reaching for the face buttons and the D-pad. Everything is comfortable there. And then when I pull them down to the touchpads, I'm like, oh, maybe I should shift my grip on this controller a little bit. It'll feel a little bit less like a gamepad. Maybe I should flatten it out physically in my hand so that I can get that swipe across the touchpad instead. This whole thing, like, you keep talking about configurability. Like, it, a lot of video games now, like the first game you play is just setting up the controls. Yeah. Like you, and and you're then like you get to set up your character. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm never gonna play this game. But like one of the things that jumps out at me about this, and it's kind of like ultimate gadget territory. Compare it to the Switch or any Nintendo product, right? The control layout and the hardware is pretty much designed to make a game like a one game work, right? Like the GameCube was like, have you heard of Luigi's Mansion? <laughs> this controller was yes. designed to play this game. 
it's going to be weird for everything else, but we like nailed it. The Switch is kind of like it has that element too, right? Nintendo's re- really good at this. The hardware and the software work really seamlessly together. Yeah. That's the product. This is like designed to run whatever, maybe. If like right, like there's an element here where the hardware is like over designed, overbuilt, over engineered because the target software is whatever will run. Yeah, the idea is you can, if they fix the cursor, go back to that original TIE Fighter and play it and not have to wonder whether the developer's ever going to add gamepad support. I went back to the original Half-Life 2 and I played a chunk of it using this. I went back to Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2 from 1997. The 90s are back. This is like a whole theme. This is the vibe shift. It's like I didn't have to think about, okay, I want to remap every single control because I had a functional mouse right there. The game had mouse support back in the day, which helps. That was one of the early first-person shooters that had it. And Valve had a profile ready that was like, okay, here's the one you set it to if you want this to emulate a mouse and keyboard. Okay, there we go. It works. And then on top of that, I was like, okay, well, I want one extra button to do one extra thing mapped it in like a minute. And then if I wanted to go crazy, I can upload my own controller configurations to the Steam library. And the cool thing is all that work that everybody did mapping out those old Steam controllers, all the cultists who spent, you know, huddled over their Steam controllers, (laughs) spending hours mapping out configurations, those are in the store. And most of them just work on the Steam deck with a few exceptions like TIE Fighter where you spin uncontrollably through space. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever, like, there there are a lot of PC games that really don't care about controllers. You know, the RTSs I'm thinking about, a lot of strategy games. Do you miss a keyboard and mouse with games like that? I would not miss uh, a keyboard and mouse if I spent the time customizing the buttons because there's enough <laughs> buttons. There is something to say Real for... Theme. Real theme of this situation. Something to say for I have a number row and I know exactly where it is with my muscle memory. There's something for to say for I have spent over 20 years learning how to do first-person shooters with the mouse and keyboard, and I am never going to be better on this than I am with a mouse and keyboard. There's something to say for if I want to swing a sword or an axe in a game with, like, a swing of my mousing arm, I'm never going to quite replicate that yeah. on a Steam Deck or Steam Controller. I could I could do cool things with it, things that'll wow you, but I don't know if it's going to be better necessarily. Cool thing about this is you can plug the mouse and keyboard in if you want. It's a full Linux computer. I'm just going to point this out. I'm saying it's an ultimate gadget. Sean, you have a mellifluous voice. It sounds like you love the th- – like the hard eyes are apparent, I think, <laughs> even in audio. However, you gave it a 6.5 and you called it the hardest review you've ever done. And I don't think people should buy it. So, like, explain <laughs> that side of the situation. <laughs> As reviews editor Dan Seifert will gladly tell you at any moment, we do not review things for The Verge based on their potential. We review what's right in front of us, what we can see and touch. And what I can see and touch is a console that was constantly changing under me, where bugs were everywhere. I had some crashes, hard locks, black screens, and I I broke an SD card using this thing. (laughs) Uh, Like, in half? It might as well have. I I completely destroyed the partition tables. Uh I've tried many times to fix it. I have not found a way to fix it. Maybe a data recovery expert could help me with that. But uh, it it was my fault. I did did hard reset the thing while it was writing to the SD card. I was trying to format it because it wasn't working. And, And then I said, you know... F it. And, <laughs> oh uh, and, and now, now that SD card is going back to Amazon. Sorry, Amazon. 
<laughs> it's unfit. I didn't get to try a lot of things. Uh, they were they, they introduced new bugs while they were fixing old bugs. Uh, they, 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 they were, they were, they were, there were regressions, which I, as a former QA tester and regression tester, I would have caught if I'd had the time to do it. But they're basically pushing nightlies to this thing uh, multiple times a day. They do say they're going to reduce the cadence a little bit once this thing gets to the market. But they told me they're, they're going to still do it, pretty much. They're, they're going to kill, still push random fixes to this for weeks and months to come. And I'm not surprised because they have a long runway of early adopters that sold out for at least six months. I mean, a lot of people bought this thing sight unseen and they're going to tolerate it if they buy it instead of, you know, reading my review and deciding not to. Yeah. I wonder how many people are actually going to return theirs, not just because I'm in the second tier and I want them to. <laughs> Wandering the streets of New York. Like, are you unhappy with your Steam Deck? Call out Cancel. <laughs> cancel that order right now. Everybody listening, cancel your order. No, it sounds... Are they kind of just banking on the fact that their audience will be okay with the fact that it sounds like it's going to be a buggy mess for the foreseeable future? Because normally yes. we would be blogging just Steam Deck destroys itself again every week. But it sounds like they're banking on that's fine. Our audience won't care. I really think that is largely true. I really think it is largely true. Uh, they they told me in an interview, uh, you know, Valve's Greg Coomer, who's been there forever designer on a lot of games and hardware. Uh, the Steam Machines Initiative, he was he was working closely on that, as I recall. Uh, he told me pretty much straight up that they are hoping to learn from their fans. It's one of those things. Ooh. Deliver the features that they want. And like, I almost believe them because I did walk into the hands-on briefing for this back in August. And I walked up to some Valve developers and I said... Hey, have you heard of this thing called AMD FSR? Are you going to use it in the Steam Deck to, you know, to upscale your games and make them look beautiful on a monitor? And nobody in the room had heard of it. And now it is a global feature on the Steam Deck. And while I'm not going to personally take credit for making this happen, I'm kind of going to take credit for making this happen. So, so we talked a bit about the idea of early access on Steam itself. You know, PUBG, people... Valheim people happily buying games that are like pre-beta to like participate in the experience of a new idea for what a game could be, bugs and all, and like even paying for it and just accepting that. And like, so the question here with all of the bugs and problems with this thing, did it like, was it worth it in like that early access sense that you're, you get to try something new and you're getting value out of it? Or was it just like, well, this will be nice when it isn't a buggy fiasco? I am having so damn much fun. Okay. <laughs> Wrong person to no ask. No one can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm having so much fun because because I, I love that they are adding new features to it on the fly, like being able to switch between two apps, which was not available until like two nights before I wrote the review. It's, it's great. I, I, I love that now I can do integer scaling and just have it look 1-1 one, one on, on an external monitor instead of blowing it up and, and making it look possibly sharper but weirder. That didn't exist until three days before the review. Uh, this, this is cool. They are fixing a bunch of the bugs as they go. Not some big ones, like my Bluetooth earbuds don't work properly and they haven't since day one. But like there's, there's a lot of stuff that that's been fixed. It's way smoother. The first time I, I loaded up, I was like, what the heck is up with this janky scrolling and animations? Mostly better. I think what they were trying to do with this review process, and by the way, they sent this out to a lot of outlets. Uh, I think what they were trying to do with this review process is 
we know it's not done. We've got to ship the thing because otherwise our processors are going to get stale. These awesome processors that have great performance are not going to look so great in six months. And we're just going to show you, all you reviewers, that we can fix things on the fly, that we are pushing pushing so much into this, that we're going to be open and transparent with all your questions. And that is great for me as a reviewer, and it might be terrible for you as a buyer of the system. I kind of want to poke at the processor thing there because everything I'm hearing is that many of us may just be paying to participate like in that early access style thing. And then six months, a year down the line, they're going to release a new product with faster processor and all the hardware like problems fixed that may present themselves. And we're all going to be like expressing a little regret. Valve believes in iteration. Mm -hmm. They have an image, which I'm going to share later this week, that has like 40 prototypes of this thing sitting on a table and they're all different. Mm. They've said repeatedly that they are going to produce a successor. They don't believe in the Osborne effect, these folks. They're, they're not worried that folks are not going to buy this one because another one is coming. But yeah, I, I don't know if I'd put it at six months to a year, particularly given chip shortage, which has also affected the Steam Deck, they told me. But like, yes, there's another one of these things coming unless this is an utter flop. And that one's going to be better. And it's going to have a faster chip because they're going to keep working with AMD on this. And because other you know, PC makers are going to want to build things like this too. And it would behoove a lot of people to wait unless you want to participate in the whole early access thing, which I love. And Alex, sounds like you're, you're game for, but... I mean, I did buy the cheapest one and I plan on immediately gutting it and putting a better storage system in it. Which, Same did, here. Did you review the 64 gigabyte that has the eMMC storage that's really slow or did you review the nice one? They didn't send us the 64 gig. I asked for it. They didn't send us uh, Windows to try. We don't have the dock yet. It's mm -hmm. been delayed. Uh, I, I reviewed the 512 gigabyte model. Uh, loading games from SD, which you're going to have to do on the 64 gigabyte model, model unless you got it and replace the yeah. SSD. Uh, loading games is fine. Writing games to SD is kind of slow. Mm -hmm. I found transferring games had a bunch of issues. Like my SD card only got half the rated write speed. Also, you broke it. Yeah. Also, I broke one of them. The other ones haven't broken. Uh, also, uh, the day after I broke it, no, two days after I broke it, they did submit an email to me that says they fixed the SD formatting issue. Oh, there so you go. apparently I discovered a bug there or somebody did. I don't know. And, uh, and it's fixed, I hope. Maybe. Uh, no other cards have broken since then. You see the battery life is, uh, how is like playing while it's plugged in? Is like the plug in a friendly place or is it an awful place? where you're always having to do weird gymnastics to keep it plugged in while still playing. Okay, we should ask. We we've we've on this on this podcast we've had the keyboard in the front versus keyboard in the back club. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about USB-C port on the top versus USB-C port on the bottom. Some of the rival portable gaming systems on the market said, "F it, we're going to do both." And so they did. Uh, this one has it on the top. I love it on the top because I play prone in bed. I rest it on a desk. I never have to worry about the cable like shutting out from the bottom of the system. I think it's super easy. It charges great. I never see any throttling or any weird issues while it's plugged in. Uh, but the Switch has it on the bottom. That's what a lot of people are used to, is Same. the USB-C charge port on the bottom. In fact, you said that, and I was like, well, I have to go cancel my order. <laughs> never mind. All right, we got to wrap this up. Sean, your final thoughts. I guess it's like, my question here is we, we are very ideological at not reviewing on potential, right? This is like a hard and fast rule. But here you are definitely buying the experience <laughs> of potential, right? Like that's kind of the promise here is like, well, this thing is going to be weird. 
You you seem to enjoy that. Two things. One, yes, yes, absolutely. I I ate it up, and and I am a glutton for punishment. I played 452 hours of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, and I started when it was very buggy and broken in early access. That said. I personally don't entirely need to buy it on potential because I have played hours of games on it, hours that many of those hours just worked. Once I'd launched a game, gotten the control scheme in there, I knew it ran, I just played the game. They didn't crash in the middle of the game. I played two hours of Resident Evil 2 here, and I played two hours of Control there, and I played four hours of Into the Breach there, which is a lovely indie game, please buy Into the Breach. Um, slay the spire. Like I just played them and they worked and they were great. And, and you know, it's, it's a lot of games that do work in my library. And then I just, I don't know about the whole rest of the library yet. All right. Well, I love an ultimate gadget. It sounds like we're going to, we're going to have a long relationship with this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Twists and turns. We'll have you back the next time that we'll, we'll just like, we'll set a software update counter. Yeah. Every, every 50 software updates yeah, exactly. at the pace they're going, we'll have you back on. We'll have a check-in. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Sean. This is great. Take care. All right. We'll be back with Allison to talk about the S22. Support of the VergeCast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI power tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. We're back. Allison, welcome. Thank you. You you had a big week. You reviewed the S22 Ultra. There's some other phone stuff, but you were, you know. It's a big review. It's a huge phone. It has 400 cameras. <laughs> yeah, so many cameras. It was really cool. I'm my arm hurts from hauling it around. Obviously, <laughs> no. no, it's it's a really powerful phone, and I was impressed by a lot of different aspects of it. And ultimately, it's like this is something I talked about with Dan. It's like the the ultimate evolution of like the slab style smartphone, it sort of feels like. But I still kind of my conclusion is like, I don't think it's for just anybody. I don't think it's like you want the best, biggest Android phone, like just get this one. I think the S22 Plus like will serve a lot of people very well. And the Ultra is kind of this like special 
if you're really into these particular features. And, you know, credit to Dan, we we talked about this, but it, it's sort of hard to imagine, like, what else you could put on this phone. Could you put another camera? I don't think so. There's There's many cameras. Could it, you know, I'm sure there are things that will be added like in generations as you know it's always you know, the next one's gonna get the newest snapdragon processor maybe the screen will get a little cooler in some way but it's it feels like they're gonna be just little refinements at this point like you've got the s pen you've got two zoom lenses it's just hard to imagine what else this form factor can have added on to it yeah Let's talk about the. I, I'm a camera nerd, so I got to start with the cameras. You have this line that's like, "Well, this space zoom is still a gimmick, right?" And like they've been like at it for a long time. It seems like Samsung's look is way toned down, right? It's still pretty oversaturated, like that Samsung, but it's not as like neon as it was two or three years ago. Like I think all these phones just kind of like look at, like each other now. Like they've all just landed right in the middle. Whereas, like, maybe three years ago, I think an iPhone and a Samsung phone and a Pixel all looked remarkably different. That's just, like, my – I didn't review this phone. Is that kind of what you were feeling, too? Because I, as I was reading the, the camera part of your review, I was like, so it takes good pictures, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard to be like, it has a Samsung look and I can evaluate the look. Right. I sort of feel like it's, it's getting to the point where really, like, camera cameras are – is, like, they're, they're all going to take – really good photos and there are things you can do if you are not like I think there's still a little bit of a Samsung kind of like wow that sky is really blue and I've <laughs> never never seen that color in real life um, you can you can mess with that if you want to but at the end of the day they're they're all really capable especially at that like thousand um, dollar level and the the refinements like I was really impressed by the portrait mode refinements, which they talk about, um, are just, are pretty much AI enabled and it's just able to, um, identify like very fine details on a subject better. So they were saying like down to the level of a single strand of hair, which in the briefing we were kind of like, sure, that <laughs> sounds great, but <laughs> it's real. Like they really have done a very good job with that. And you can, can look side by side at what it was doing previously and it's you have to look very closely but the so the differences are subtle but they make an impact that it just looks more convincing and I'm more likely to to take the phone out I'm like yeah I will take a portrait mode photo in this moment it's it's not going to look super unrealistic and fake yeah that's that's when you know I always um I always look at my camera roll and I see what – because on iOS anyway, it'll tell you how many photos are portrait mode. And I'm like, oh, that number has been going up. Yeah. Right? And like I think Apple got there maybe last year or the year before. It feels like Samsung got there this year. Yeah. And my test is like, is it is this photo good enough to go 
on the grandparents' digital photo frame. Like <laughs> the answer is like literally any photo of it. I was going to say that's a pretty low bar, is it? Not? I was, it's really it's my own. I like I have high standards for what goes on the frame, and they're like, no, we just need more content. But, um, <laughs> yeah, for me, I was like, this. These are frame worthy. That's yeah. good on the. On the portrait mode, how's the how's the like the the drop off uh, over distance? Does it does it still sort of look like cut outy? Like uh, the everything they, they've cut out the hair nicely now, mm-hmm. but is it still just like an even layer of blur, or does it do the thing where it gets blurrier the further back in the distance it goes? I think the the telephoto lens it does a better job, and I think it's oh, okay. just easier um, to make it look convincing. The wide angle still has that kind of like the the foreground is not blurred where it should be and you do get that kind of like here's a little cardboard cutout in a sea of like blurriness yeah the telephoto which i don't personally like i would personally like to shoot with the wide more but i found myself just picking the telephoto because it it looks so much better so it's it's still not 100% but it's definitely up there with like the most convincing portrait mode photos I've seen. The other camera thing I wanted to ask about is this um, this new uh, computed raw stuff. And there's like a separate app and you got to use the Galaxy Store. Can you talk us through what's going on there? They even made a separate Lightroom. Yeah, Lightroom for Samsung. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that existed. So yeah, so this feature is called Expert Raw. And it's essentially a... Instead of a single frame traditional raw file, like you snap the shutter, you you get one frame, one exposure. This is compiling information from multiple frames. So you get the benefits of computational photography, um, which is kind of the whole point of taking a picture with a smartphone. It's like it can do all this awesome stuff. Right, right. So when, you know, previously, like you could shoot raw, like traditional raw on on this phone or like most smartphones. Um, but it's sort of pointless because just use the JPEG, like it has more information. So this makes this makes raw not pointless on a phone. It's something Apple's been doing a little bit and OnePlus, I wanna say, introduced it to. But Samsung's version is called Expert Raw. You have to download, it's only on the ultra model. You have to download the Expert Raw app from the Galaxy Store. And then, so you, you use the camera app that way. And then you get a raw file. It's a typical DNG file. So you can take it to like Snapseed or you can export it and edit on your computer. But the shortcut in the Expert Raw app is to Lightroom, like take it directly to Lightroom. But it's Samsung. Lightroom from right. the Galaxy Store. That is just such like an instinctually Samsung thing to do. I didn't even know. <laughs> right. I'm just still blown away that Samsung has a Lightroom. Is it just Lightroom Mobile, but it's just in their store? Like, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, it's your Adobe login and everything. It's like it is the Lightroom app. It just says like Samsung. <laughs> People had meetings. Every time I hear about this, I'm like, there were meetings, right? Like, lots of highly paid Adobe and Samsung people got together, and they're like, we didn't need a cross-marketing deal, and there's a Galaxy Store. And the engineers had to be like, well, this is a Galaxy Store support, same APIs as the place. Like, they had to do all this. And at the end, it's like, it's Lightroom. It's the same app as it was. They just had a logo. Just, (laughs) We did it. Nailed it. 
<laughs> we got it. In the fine print, you as a Galaxy S22 Ultra owner get two months free of the Lightroom trial through the Samsung for Lightroom. Uh, but after that, you have to pay for an Adobe license, just like everybody else. So I don't they could have just they could have just used a coupon. <laughs> what are you doing? Enter this code at checkout. <laughs> yeah. When are they, no. they, they got to get you in the Galaxy Store. Yeah, That's what's was, underneath like, all this. This was all yeah. like just go use because it's on the Galaxy Store, not on the Play Store, right? Right. Speaking of Samsung stuff, how are the ads in the interface? This is a twelve hundred dollar phone. And for years now, Samsung has been throwing ridiculous ads into core pieces of software. Have they, it seems like they've, they've started to learn their lesson. Have they learned it completely? It, not completely. It is a little better. <laughs> I, th- I think you pointed out the, um, the ads in the weather app, which yes. is like in last year's phones. And once you see them and you know you're there, it feels kind of icky. You're like, this is, don't make me look at an ad. I'm just checking the weather. Those are gone, so I'm oh. th- thrilled with that. But I did get a a pop-up or a notification at some point that I could pre-order the S22 uh, right. and get and get some Samsung credit. On, like, on the okay. S22? I, on the S22 Ultra, yeah. So I was like... That's the mm. end state of all ad targeting. Just it's get like another You've one. already bought something? <laughs> Have you, would you like to see an ad for it? It's like, no matter how much technology you build... <laughs> It always result. It. That's the result. Yep. Okay. One camera question. So Samsung has been kind of the leader of the. We're going to put a big sensor in it and pixel bin it, right? And that's compared to Apple, which is like using this standard sensor. Compared to Google, is moving in that direction now too. But have they figured it out, right? Because now they're doing all this raw stuff, and you can get the full file, the full hundred eight megapixel image right they're like using more of the capabilities there but it mm-hmm. is just a very different approach right and yeah. this is like samsung's approach yeah and i initially i got pretty excited when they talked about this in the briefing they call it adaptive pixel technology where it's it's doing some of the pixel binning and they talk about it kind of in conjunction with with nitography. Oh, God, um, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was hoping we could avoid that. I asked this cool. question, and I didn't know it would go here, and now I regret it. We're, we're, co- we're going to come back around there, to nitography. There it is. There it is. So the photography you do at night. Um, <laughs> or uh, nitography. <laughs> right. I'd love some nitography. When you take a picture of your kids, it's called kidtography. This is, <laughs> is, it, this is, is the future of language. Portraitography. <laughs> Everything is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I got kind of excited and I asked for a little clarification and it's it's only do it's the difference between last year's model is limited to some specific situations. So you can now on on both the S20 standard S22s and the Ultra, you can take a full high resolution image with night mode sort of like um pixel binning applied, which you couldn't do before. But it, and it's something you can't trigger manually. It has to be actually really super dark, which is sort of, sort of annoying because I was like standing in a Starbucks and trying to take a picture of something. I was like, where's night mode? But uh, it's up to the 
phone. So you had to go to the Starbucks and be like, please turn off the lights. Yeah, and I was Chick-fil-A. like, if you could just turn the lights off for me, that would be great. <laughs> uh, and they told me to leave. <laughs> yeah, so and it is, it works. It's good, but it's sort of like, I now have a 108 megapixel image of my bar cart in the middle of the night. And <laughs> to see if the, the use case is is a little more limited than I was hoping. I was like, maybe this will be a really cool sort of... Where's, like, the cutoff? Like, outside, well-lit parking lot? I, I think it would depend. It's It has to be very dark. Like, I had a little um, kind of, like, table lamp on in the living room, and that was too much light for it. So you have to, so like, had increase to- the creep factor... Yeah. Yeah. This is you the, have to be... the emotional element of nightography. It's <laughs> yeah. creeping around. They're just trying to get you into the headspace of like lurking around in the night, <laughs> <laughs> taking photos. So to experience true nightography. Are you Batman? They're bidding the pixels. They're making choices for you about whether or not to turn on nightography. <laughs> they're offering all this extra raw stuff. They're you know, they're turning on the AI when you zoom in on stuff. They're like, they're cutting out human hairs, like all of this stuff. Samsung has always offered a million things in their cameras. And 90% of the time I'm like, these things seem cool, but I'm annoyed because I don't trust you to just take a picture. It seems like you could just trust this thing to like take a really good picture. Yeah, there's, there's definitely more times when I just feel like, I'm taking the phone out to take a picture and I'm okay with it. I'm not sort of bracing myself for like, well, this is gonna this is gonna look kind of crummy, but what's Samsung gonna do to reality? Let's find out. Yeah. I I was really impressed by the it's not new, it's new to me, but the 10 times zoom. Um, I was sort of like, oh, it's it's just gonna be terrible, but it's really actually pretty good. And even 30 times, um, like digital zoom and whatever it's doing is okay. So definitely with the telephoto, I'm more like, oh, I could actually use this and like trust it and just, and I would put that on Instagram or whatever and not be super embarrassed about it. All right, we gotta, we started talking about the software a little bit immediately in the context of ads, <laughs> which I feel like tells you a lot about where Samsung is with One UI. <laughs> um, but it's, you have, you have this like paragraph here that's like, you you have to imagine things that you can't do with this phone and they can probably do them because the software has so many features now. Is it overwhelming? Like, have they have they made one UI? Every time I've used it, I'm like, wow, every surface of this interface is festooned with options. Yeah. And all of them are designed to make you, like, live the galaxy lifestyle. Get a little hat. Yeah. Yeah. A little sweater. Right. Have they, have they kind of, <laughs> like, brought that into focus? It is, like, option overload for me. And I think that's just something that maybe the the kind of person who's really interested, who had a note and who's really interested in the Ultra is sort of prepared for and okay with. I think it's one of those things that makes me kind of steer like most people to the S22 Plus. Um, just as an example, like if you're trying to write a note um, in handwriting mode and convert it to text. There's like four different ways you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, like 
you can scribble it and then circle it and convert it, or you can go to the keyboard and put the keyboard in, in handwriting mode and convert it that way. Or, you know, it's sort of like, I, and I'm not sure everybody would dive into every option. You, you can kind of exist on the surface level and just, you know, pull the pen out and write a note and it, it's not going to bother you with a lot of intense choices, but if you start digging in, it's sort of like, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You gave it a nine. It's a great phone. I kind of feel you on the, like, this is the end of history for slab phones. We're done. <laughs> like, Right. Like, I, we're obviously going to see further iterations. Like you said, more chips will come out. But I buy it. It's a great yeah. phone. Let's talk about where the action is, which is you also covered Dish's earnings call this week. <laughs> <laughs> a real story. <laughs> Whatever. Phones, you know what you need for, to make a phone work? You need a network. Uh, just to remind everybody, America's supposed to have four wireless networks. When T-Mobile bought Sprint, the Trump administration just concocted this plan whereby we would still have four wireless networks. By and Dish O-ran with it. <laughs> You did it. <laughs> That's chest, everybody. Um, Good night. It's been great, Allison. You've been wonderful. Um, yeah, Dish is going to concoct a fourth wireless network out of nothing. <laughs> they are supposed to, it's like 20% coverage across the country, 25% by June of, of this year, which is but four months away. Because what you want out of your, your cell phone is for it to have signal 25% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I can go to Las Vegas and Baltimore. Um, this works great. It's a true competitor. But they've they basically like got part of Vegas. Allison, you covered the earnings call. CEO said some stuff. What is up with Dish's open radio access network? That's ORAN. It's a technology bet that no one has ever made work. What's going on with this thing? Uh, so they've been testing it in pilot in Vegas. Uh, it's been in this beta for friends and family. Um, since November, I think. And um, their update on the earnings call was, it works. Uh, <laughs> but but the quote, the quote from Ergen was, where it works, it works pretty well, or something like that. <laughs> it was it quote, really enthusiastic. Like, yeah, we're like, hold on. So <laughs> tell us about the where it doesn't work part. <laughs> and you know, he he kind of goes into they had some setbacks. They're they're behind schedule. They kind of missed every deadline that they set for themselves in 2021. <laughs> but they're they're still like, yep, we're on on target for June. We're gonna light up 25 major metro areas. Um, it's great. Everything's going great. <laughs> Is there like a a legal like classification for major metro area? Or can they just like choose anywhere and say that's I a don't major? Know. It's a tiny town called Major. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just they just found, found one in every state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every uh, Springfield in every state. They, uh... His other quote, the other quote from Dish CEO Charlie Ergen, who is like a remarkably candid, like he's like a old school cowboy yeah. CEO. You know? Love it. He's like, we have a lot of work to do to make the network work everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So they have this bet, right, on Oren. So like, this is a thing that we should love, which is the idea that you can move a lot of the network infrastructure to cloud providers like mm -hmm. AWS. They love to say AWS is involved in this network whenever they talk about it. It's, a, it's like a magic wand. You know, like it just fixes everything. Yeah. Um, 
don't look behind the AWS curtain for our non-existent <laughs> network where we're torturing our friends and family in Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> but the idea is right now, you know, an AT&T or Verizon basically has to buy all of its radio equipment from one vendor, and that vendor will, like, integrate it across the network, or they will outsource it to the companies actually run the towers. The, the biggest tower company in America, by the way, is called Tower Co. It's a very yes. MNOS. Uh, so the, the idea here is that it's an open system, so you can buy parts from all kinds of vendors and, like, run it all in the cloud. Great. No one has ever made this work. I was just on a panel with the chairwoman of the FCC, Jessica Rosenworcel, and she was like, we're really starting to look into this O-RAN thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Really good to hear. Uh, I was like, aren't you? Six Isn't months <laughs> before. That's exciting. Yeah. Ooh. So I'm very curious about all this. We're supposed to have four carriers. Well, we're, there, there's like Mobile World Congress. O-RAN is, is going to be there. They're they, they, they're doing a keynote. Yeah, but we need it here. Mobile World Congress <laughs> is in Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's in the cloud, man. It can just, they can just. Yeah, it's just very it's funny. This Fax is what it I mean. over. Like, there was a, a explicit bet made. They're like, we're so excited about this. This is going to let them spin up a viable fourth network that will compete with AT and T, Verizon, and now massive T-Mobile. Yeah. And it's because of ORAN and AWS they're going to do it right away. And like now they're like, well, it kind of works. <laughs> Real right. confidence whatever, there. Whatever they mention AWS in relationship to this network, I think about um, one time, disclosure, uh, my wife works for Meta, but she asked me, how do they paint the lines on the football fields? And I didn't know. So I just said, they use computers. We've <laughs> been fighting about it ever since. <laughs> like, oh, it's, it's computers. That's it. And I just feel like they're just like, saying AWS is like, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, yeah, computer computers. Stuff. The network will exist. It's amazing. We'll see if it ever happens. Um, also, I don't know if you guys saw this map today of T-Mobile's 5G footprint. It's amazing. So if you look at their coverage map. Is it pink and yellow? It's all, it's, it's all pink, except literally the entire state of Nebraska is not pink. <laughs> Oh. Like the shape of Nebraska, like is not pink, and it's because like some random company owns the midband spectrum in Nebraska. <laughs> it's very good. Like the state of U.S. networks is just out of control, stupid. It's like, like the the FAA is like, I don't know, man, planes might fall out of the sky. <laughs> like, T-Mobile's like, we forgot Nebraska. Just, we'll it's fine. <laughs> You just drive up north or you and can get around like, it. Yeah. Like, let's, let's bet the farm on this technology that we uh, forgot to invent. <laughs> it's going to be great. In the end, it's going to, I probably, you know, ORAN is the kind of technology that we should love. Yes. It, except that uh, there's nothing to love. Except so there's nothing to ORAN with. <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh, I'm going to keep going with that. I'm so I, sorry. You are not. <laughs> that was my last time on The Verge cast. Thank you. I had a great time. Yeah, it was it was a, a good run. ORAN yourself out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back with a little lightning round. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. 
If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're back. I'm just going to call on people. We're over. What a surprise. Apple will reportedly debut an M2 chip in four new Macs this year. What do you think, Alex? Yes, they have to. Why do they have to? Because... Is anyone catching up to them? Because what comes after M1 Max? Is it going to be just the M1... Max. No, with I'm saying X. the M1 is so far ahead. That's true. That's that true. It's it's so far do ahead. Do nothing. Like Intel's like we have a chip that will outperform the M1 Max, and it's like also it will light your house on fire. Yeah, but but the thing is also they are still kind of. I mean, they are competing with Intel. They are competing with AMD. They can't afford to give them any space because they are such a new competitor in this space. They have to keep like rubbing it in. <laughs> if they don't rub it in, then like Intel and AMD will smell weakness. And, and then, then we'll be just right back to an Intel or AMD chip in these computers. Wow. No, I Bold don't think it'll, it's that dire. But I think, like, the expected cadence is there from kind of everybody in the processor industry. And so if you're not, like, keeping with that cadence, if you're not constantly innovating and moving at that, like, yearly cadence, yeah. what are you doing? Like, are you wasting our time here? And to, for Apple, it's also, like, how else are they going to – like, everybody's kind of – you know, the sales cycle for laptops is around the processors. How do you get people to upgrade? Yeah. Put another, an M2. Well, I think it's, it's going to be interesting when they have an M2 and then they do the Pro Max and they have M1 Maxes in them. Yeah. I'm, I'm really like. The, Doing the numbers on these chips, I think, was a mistake. Yeah, 100%. Mm. And I think. They should have gone with lakes. They yeah. should have, like, just lake code names. <laughs> no, wizards. They Wiz- should have gone oh, with wizards. wizards. Yeah. <laughs> D&D character classes. <laughs> so many people tweeted at me. They were like, it's alphabetical, the Intel thing. And I was like, I know it's alphabetical. They still picked <laughs> Druid for D. <laughs> Druid is way cooler than Celestials. But yeah, yeah. No, they like, I think it's going to be really interesting to see when that M2 comes because Apple likes to tell a story when they do their presentations, right? They And an absolute distraction is to be like, here is our new refreshed Mac Pro finally on our new ARM-based mm-hmm. chips, the M1 Max Pro. And then also we have a new M2 chip over yeah, here. Yeah, I think like, it's weird. I like think the numbers here is going to mess them up really badly. And I, I think the numbers are fine on the phones because they just like have a new one every year and like the old phone or the cheaper phone. And we phone. don't really – I mean, Vergecast cares. But the vast majority of people don't really notice those numbers on a phone the way they will on a laptop. Well, see, I, I think this is actually – we'll find out. Yeah. You know, like – Presumably, they knew when they named it M1 that they, they would, they would <laughs> have M2 was coming. Like they bought this problem, you yeah. know. Um, but I think it's interesting. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm imagining somebody busting into the meeting, just be like, "Wait, wait, 
<laughs> Numbers go up. <laughs> Let me tell you about Ordo Math, everybody. Yeah, we like, made a horrible mistake. Product strategy. All the designers like, oh no, what do we do? It's too late. <laughs> so we'll see. I just think it's going to be a weird when the the most expensive ones have ones. And the cheaper ones have twos. It, it's gonna be weird. It could be weird in like two weeks. We could we could be seeing it as soon as March because there's there's a rumored event in March. Oh boy, we'll probably see a new Mac Mini with the M1 Max yeah. Pro in it. But everybody's saying, oh, there'll be a MacBook Air. Well, that would have to be in presumably an M2 MacBook Air. So yeah. we'll see. It's gonna be fun. All right, and confusing. Spotify has a the car thing. Which I, honestly, I think we have we have tried to kill several times as a publication. Like Ashley reviewed it once, and she was like, "What is this garbage?" Spotify has a car. It's called the car thing. I'm not just saying Spotify has a car thing. I'm saying they have a product called Car Thing. It's ninety dollars. It's not for sale to everyone. It is a screen and a knob that you mount in your car. It connects to your phone. It is the most insane ba- like aux adapter of all time. Yeah. So it plays. Music from your phone over Bluetooth and then plugs into your car. I mean, that's... And you can, like, spin the wheel. That seems you know, cool. Touch the screen. That seems cool. Couldn't you just go buy a head unit and, <laughs> and install a Couldn't head... you just get a good car? <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. Like, a, I feel like a, you can get, a, like, an inexpensive head unit for a little bit more. Are you, were you, like, a car stereo girl, like, in Texas? Did you have like you the know big what? speakers? We're not going to talk <laughs> yep. about. We're not going to talk about. I my know past. you. I see you. <laughs> but like, someone had a Honda Civic that was bumping. <laughs> was Mitsubishi Eclipse. You know, like just. Ooh. That was my friend had one. He had the big subs. Yep. It, oh my god, it I was so you. good. But like, it's so easy to install. I mean, it's easy to install a head unit. It used to be. I, I guess if you have a car that's old enough where you like would need this thing you probably have a car that's old enough to take a standard din car stereo and not have your heating and cooling integrated into the screen yeah. but it won't be 90 dollars. that's true i just this thing is so unwieldy i don't know why they they've just insisted on like just making block it an ac vent yeah. for me you know we're saying the steam deck is like an ultimate gadget this is like the opposite of an <laughs> ultimate gadget it's like just makes me angry <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it wouldn't it get Stolen? Do you do you leave it there all the time? Yeah, no, it's not going to get stolen. It looks like candy for someone. <laughs> I mean, that's why it's ninety dollars. So you just oh, go buy a new okay. one. You just buy a new one. Yeah, you just yeah. keep a stash in the back of your car where you could have really cool subs, and and yeah. you're fine. No, when you when you go through the checkout process, you know, there's like the standard, like, do you want to buy the warranty? And then the warranty includes replacing the window that people smash to get it. Right. So it's like a whole yeah. package deal. Yeah. No, Joe Rogan you. comes to your house and fixes your car windows. Um, <laughs> so integrated Spotify experience. My first car was my sister's Honda Accord that she had. Oh, yeah. On the, and she, it's a good car. It was, <laughs> to put speakers in. It, uh, the gear shift had a sport mode that really <laughs> put that 90 horsepower four cylinder <laughs> in the next level. Um uh, but she lived in Chicago. So when I inherited it in Wisconsin, it had lived on the south side of Chicago. And she, the car radio got stolen so often. <laughs> and she was embarrassed about it. So she kept like having various people to like replace the car radio with whatever jank. And then it would get stolen again. <laughs> it's just like it's just a real thing. So by the time I got it, there was just a hole in the dashboard <laughs> where there was just a radio. <laughs> <laughs> just like kind of like lying about because all the ma- it was great. No, is you put a computer speaker with a CD player. I truly loved that car. Oh, that's so nice. My friends called it the Bullet. Yes. Anyhow, <laughs> later I got a different car. Sony finally reveals the PlayStation VR 2's design. What do you think, Dieter? 
it it looks exactly like I thought it would look. Like, yeah, it looks good. Um, I'm hopeful that this will have just a cable sticking out of it instead of the original PlayStation <laughs> VR, which was just like you. It was like playing Cat's Cradle with your PlayStation, just like all the little <laughs> extra boxes and cables and lines that you had to plug in to make the thing work. Um, this looks much more elegant. Disclosure, my. Yeah, you already did it. You did it. You did okay. it when you just mentioned her. <laughs> well, somebody it might wasn't even I'm, a conflict. You're like my wife who exists. <laughs> disclosure. It was I good. mean, yeah. it's a brand. Disclosure is a brand. Be careful. Te- this Tesla story is out of control. So the timeline here is that back in the day, Elon tweeted, "Should I sell my stock?" And then he sold the stock. Yeah. And it was obvious that he was always going to sell the stock. So it was like he's joking. The SEC was like bad. And the SEC was bad. And then Elon filed a complaint with a judge that said the SEC, because they, you know, after the, after many previous scandals, including the one where he was like funding secured, I'm taking Tesla private. And yeah. Then it well, didn't he out. also say if it hits 420, I'm going to. Yeah. But funding secured was, yeah. these are the words. Yeah. And then the SEC was like, you have a settlement, you can't tweet, you need a, like a monitor of your tweets. You have to be off the like. The, it was bad. Yeah. Uh, so then the SEC is like enforcing this. He has complained to a judge. The FCC is stifling his free speech. Then he accused the SEC of leaking information, and then it turns out the information that leaked is that the SEC is now uh, investigating Elon and his brother Kimball for insider trading. Yikes! It's like, oh, that's what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see now. Understood. Yeah, it's crazy. I. Um, Elon is great. The car, everyone likes the cars. The rockets land themselves. It's all very impressive. The man should stop tweeting. Yeah, just never tweet. Like, just delete. I learned on decoder, by the way. I had um, Tony Evans, who's a law professor, and we were talking about DAOs. Yeah. And like crypto organizations, and like you need a contract. And she's like, "Well, you could just look at the Discord logs, and the judge could infer a contract." And I was like, "That seems bad." That seems really bad. (laughs) And then she was like, "Oh yeah, I mean, they've done it already with tweets." And so, like, we should all stop tweeting. <laughs> like, you don't know what kind of deal you're making on Twitter. I have signed so many contracts <laughs> on accident. <laughs> it's like, I got to get off the internet right now. If I agree to write a story on Slack, yeah, is that Yeah, you're contractually that. obligated now. Oh, Tell it to the yeah. judge, sister. <laughs> That's it. We're over. We've got some uh, stories. we got a big feature about the early days of content moderation at Pornhub which I encourage you to read. It's got some great art. By the way, we won a National Magazine Award yesterday. Yeah, we uh, did. For our Verge 10 illustration. We were nominated for another one. That is, uh, we, ha- we just hired a killer new art director. Her name is Kristen Radke. She's wonderful. Now she's set the standard. She's been here for like 25 minutes. She's won two National Magazine Awards. <laughs> <laughs> she got nominated for two and she got one one. I have won none since I got here. I'm what feeling you, really yeah, bad. Get, you made the O-Ran joke, though, <laughs> I, so that's yes. a real <laughs> <laughs> My awards in the mail. Um, anyway, the art on the Pornhub story is great, and then I got to tell you the, you know, we're like diligent journalists. <laughs> you may have surmised from this experience every week, we are diligent and rigorous journalists. Yes. Um, so we like go to Pornhub for comment, and they they don't have real spokespeople. They have like anonymous. So a a person identified only as Ian goes back and forth with our editors for twenty emails. And is like, I will only comment if you can guarantee the piece will be unbiased. And we're like, well, <laughs> yes, but can you just tell us who you are? Like, guarantee. One of, truly one of, and then so we published this in the sidebar because, you know, we're like very transparent, as Dieter says. Disclosure is a brand. And then all these other reporters are like, oh, yeah, that, that definitely always happens. <laughs> one of the strangest companies ever. Read that story. Uh, Truth Social launched. That's Trump's Twitter clone 
I like that you assumed everybody knew what Truth Social was. <laughs> We're going to have to know. We are. We it's are. It's like one of those things. Uh, Casey wrote about it. McKenna wrote about it. It is pretty buggy and hard to use. It already it came pre-populated with QAnon accounts, which is very funny. That's incredible. So we'll see. It's Competition is good. This competition might be a little shakier than most. <laughs> but we've got a lot of coverage of it on the site because – we're heading into an election cycle, and the man is going to start I tweeting do really again, love or truthing again. The business decision to be like Twitter, the notoriously most successful of social media <laughs> networks. Oh, that's, that's, that's what actually I McKenna's. That is McKenna's point. Actually, you should read that piece. It's really good. McKenna's piece and Casey's piece are actually like in conversation with each other. Casey's is like it won't survive its hype. The audience is inherently limited. It's also buggy as hell, and yeah. Twitter's a bad business. McKenna's piece is like, it doesn't matter because it is a broadcast mechanism for one dude. That's true. Yeah. Um, and so that's like, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I'm Carton Park, went to Disneyland. Um, that's it. He, just, he, it was he great. filed me th- over 3,000 words at 11 o'clock at night, and I was like, I'm not I'm doing this at 6 o'clock in the morning. Sorry. Uh, it's 6, Technically, 000. he went to the Intergalactic Star Cruiser. Yeah. Which is, uh, it seems like more like a video game than a hotel. It's like $6,000 to stay there. It, you pay $6,000 to LARP Star Wars. It sounds incredible. I'd probably do it if paid Did enough. y'all have the, like, the living history thing in your hometown? Like we had Colonial Williamsburg, I think. And the same awkwardness you felt then, you will presumably yeah, feel. everyone's like in character yeah. from like the, yeah, but it's lightsabers. But cool lightsabers. They're real lightsabers. Yeah. You just can't escape it. All right. We got to wrap it up. We are way over. You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. Dieter's at Backlon. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Sean will happily talk to you about the Steam Deck. You can tweet at him. He's at Starfire2258, which is perfect and has been for <laughs> over a decade. Uh, and Allison is Allison Joe one This is great. We'll see you next week on The Vergecast. Rock and roll. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.